I don't know if anyone's ever noticed, but when the youth, the kids leave, the congregation kind of shrinks down to about half its size. I mean, have you noticed? Look, look what's happening. I think we have like a hundred young people back there. Like a hundred. Is God good? Is God good? A couple of comments or statements before we get into Acts 16. So that means that you can begin to open your Bibles at Acts 16. Terrence is in the New Testament, brother. I know you were looking around to find out where. New Testament. The ninth book of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Before we begin, on behalf of the pastoral team, let me say thank you for providing the resources for us to attend the pastor's conference last week. I think it was a, using Jason's words, pivotal pastor's conference. As you know, the Lord has been shaking shaking and reshaping Sovereign Grace Ministries, which is a good thing. Anytime the Lord shakes and reshapes, it's good. So we don't want to see what has been happening as bad, although sometimes the way things get shaken through the activity of people, but behind it all, is the good, controlling, merciful, and purposeful hands of God. So can we be confident in this? And so I think that perhaps the overriding benefit to us was that we were encouraged with messages of hope. And the basis of the hope is not based in who we are and what we've done and what we haven't done and hopefully what we're going to do. The basis of the hope is in God himself, in his purpose, in his faithfulness, in his power. He is going to do with us according to his will. There's hope, the God of all hope. So it was a good conference. We enjoyed it and we were blessed. But the reason we went or could go is because you provided the resources to do that. And we hope that as a result of this, we are going to be able to serve the purposes of God in this Sovereign Grace Church more effectively than ever before. Don't you hope that also? Amen? Second thing, you remember, I think it was last week when Keith let us know that he had been nominated to be a part of the Executive Council of Elders, which is a group of 12 men who, in their deliberations and decisions, etc., oversee sovereign grace, working with the leadership team. Did I say that right? Sometimes five? Five, huh? Nine men. Okay, I, well, I, you know. Did I get the word council right? An executive, whatever. And you remember him asking for our prayers. And 
some of the natural understanding is how is Keith going to be able to have time to do that and this and raise a tribe? I mean, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, the result of the election was that he did get elected to that position. Amen. That's right. That's right. Now, I really don't say this with boasting. Seriously, I think some of us knew that that's what was going to happen because we know the gifting. I didn't get nominated and elected because I don't have the gifting. No, no. He has the gifting and the anointing of the Holy Spirit for this. That's why God put him there. So the average question comes up. How's he going to do this? Well, there was another man one time who was given a huge responsibility and a grand vision. And on his shoulders rested the future, if you would, in a natural sense of Christianity. And the answer is Keith is not going to do well with this. If he's going to look to himself and try it on his own steam and try to figure out. He's not, you're going to fail, brother. You're going to fail. And this other man found that out. And we have his word in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, I am failing at this. This thorn in the flesh, this impediment, this whatever, is getting in the way of my being the most effective man of God that God wants me to be. And the Holy Spirit said to Paul, hey, Rejoice, for my power is perfected in weakness. Is he going to do it well? Is he going to have time? Is he going to succeed? No, in the natural. And yes, in the power of God. Amen? So can we be excited about this? And let's not say, what about it? God is on the move. Do you believe that? Let's not wring our hands and whatever. Let's face the reality. And this should be an encouragement to all of you. When Keith is out of town, maybe for a week or two, I'll still be here. (laughs) The whole back section of the church just left. (laughs) All right. One more thing. None of this counts for the sermon. And seriously, it doesn't. I'm not started yet. This is just what you have to put up with in a charismatic church where we take liberty. Because Christ gives us liberty, right, Frank? Amen. My wife and I have been in this church for half our lives, 35 years. Uh, wherever you are. We're going to be in... Acts 16, verse 12 verses. And I want to begin this morning with reading from Matthew 28, 18 to 20. So you may want to keep a hand in 16 of Acts and go over to 28 of Matthew. Why do I want to do that? 
Because one of the great concerns that we have is this. That we do not look at our Bible and the activities and the events of that occurring isolated from the rest of the Bible. The Bible is a comprehensive, cohesive work and message of God to us. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, it is the comprehensive, cohesive word of our God to us. And I want us, as we go through Acts 16, 1 through 12, to see it, hopefully, in a larger context in which we normally would see it, if I don't make mention of this, that does not mean that you won't or whatever. I just want to make sure. just want to make sure of that. And so you remember we come to Matthew 28. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's been with the disciples for a whole lot of days. And in Luke, remember, he tells them, wait in Jerusalem for power when you receive the Holy Spirit. And he's about ready to ascend and return to the Father. He is ready now to put into motion that purpose for which God created that Adam should have done but that Jesus does do. And so what you have here is a command not just to do something, but to now fulfill God's original creation purpose that Adam was given to have dominion and rule to multiply and to fill and to guard God's creation. For what purpose? That the whole world would be filled with the knowledge of God as man would be the image bearer of the glory of God. Amen? Now, Adam failed because of sin. But God never being caught off guard is already Moving when Adam takes the bite of the fruit, God is already on the march. And over the years throughout the Old Testament, God is moving and preparing and promising. I'm going to send somebody else. And there were pictures of this man and prophecies. And Jesus comes. As God's last Adam, as Paul calls him in 1 Corinthians 15, 45. And Jesus fulfills everything that Adam was to do. And he's risen. He's about ready to ascend. And he tells his church, I now pass on to you and give to you the mantle of mandate that I myself have accomplished so that in you, the church, all that I have accomplished for the glory of God will be fully consummated and completed 
now in part as we're seeing fulfilled in consummation in Revelation 21 and 22. That's what he's telling us here. So he says this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore go, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. This morning as we travel with Paul and Silas, as they go back through Lystra and finally wind up in Europe, I want to do so within this context. This is a travel log. And, you know, typically we see, okay, fine. Let me get to the good stuff. This is the history, part of it, of God's purposeful passion in fulfilling his promise. Amen? And he fulfills it by giving all authority to a man who has perfectly obeyed him. And the demonstration of that authority and the proof of that authority is that man will be with us until the end. So I hope that as we go through this, what we're seeing in this travel log is not just this happened, that happened. They went here and they went there and stopped there and went over there and over there. But the monumental miracle of God's presence and power with his people. Because what does that say to us today? How many of us are facing the vicissitudes, the difficulties, the questions, the problems, the whatevers of life? And even we still may be struggling. Lord, what? Where are you? Well, where is he? Where is he? And behold, I will be with you until the end of the age. Where is he? He's with us. Amen? And I think that's what the Holy Spirit is leading us to see this morning. By the way, this is what God gave me about this this morning while drinking my coffee. And I said, why not before so I could have the notes and Evan could put them in the notes. But then, you know, that's just God. So that's how that works. So let's look at this. Acts 16.1, you remember Barnabas and Paul split up and Paul decides, hey, we need to get going again. So this, this chapter is the record of what is called the second missionary journey as Paul and the team travel into Europe for the first time with the gospel. What is his purpose? What is God's purpose in this? Why? 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 What's going on? God's purpose is that he will be glorified in the churches that will be established through the preaching of the gospel. That's God's purpose. That in the establishment of churches, people being saved into the kingdom of God and joined together to one another relationally in a community. A community of the church that reflects the community that exists within God himself. Relationship 
one another, community. Why is it so important among us? Because it is who God is within himself. And we are merely, if you would, I hate to say it that way, but we are showing forth in Christ, having been saved, having received the Spirit, having been empowered, we are showing forth the most majestic and the most mysterious revelation of all, that our God is a community of persons existing together in complete unity, complete relationship, loving one another. Amen? That's what this is all about. So God is establishing churches to show everyone the glory of who he is. So they start off. So let's read verses 1 to 5. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, that we are in this passage today as those who have heard the gospel because of what you do in this passage. Father, these are our spiritual ancestors. Connect us emotionally and mentally, cognitively with your word because we are connected. Father, show us it's not just about a bunch of people years ago. It's about our history and why we are here and what our purpose is and what you will continue to do in Jesus' name. Amen. So reading the passage one through five first. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. Remember, he's already gotten Silas. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because the Jews who were in those places, for all they all knew that his father, Timothy's father, was a Greek. And as they went on their way to the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions. Remember the decisions from the Council of Acts 15. Had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. What is the effect? The churches were strengthened in the faith. And they increased in numbers daily. Paul and Silas decide to go. And that's the first thing, they decide to go. Now, we don't think this way, but we need to see this. Who is in the mix of Paul's decision to go? Is this a natural decision or is this the move of the Holy Spirit? Is this a revelation that Jesus is with them? Right? Is this the power of the Holy Spirit causing these men to realize Jesus is with you and here is what he wants you to do? And where he wants you to go. So right off the bat, we begin to see the effect, the reality. Jesus is with them. We begin to see the activity of his authority, of his sovereign will and work occurring in these lives. So when we read the Bible again, let's not read it just, oh, Paul decided to do this. And he went. Let's see the mighty hand of a faithful God to his promises. Because if we don't see that, then very much what happens to us, we're not going to understand it in a larger context that we should. And we want to appreciate it. And sometimes we're going to miss just a whole lot of blessings. May I take a digression just for a moment? 
No. That old white-haired man that just stood up here. Treby. When you hear this man say, give sacrificially. I've known him for 35 years in the leadership. He and I have been in leadership, he longer than I, for 35 years in this church. And I can say this because I know I was there. I don't believe, may I repeat that? I don't believe, may I repeat it? I do not believe that anyone has given and has sacrificed more for this church than that man has. In his giving, in his time, in his availability, in his work, I don't believe anyone. Now, Bill would not want me to say that, but that is what I believe the Holy Spirit wants me to say. So that when that man says give and sacrifice, that man not only understands that, but that man is a living example of God's blessing in a man who will give and do beyond what the natural says to do without fear and with hope and with faith. Can you say amen to God for Bill Treby? Always a challenge what I'm going to say up here. And so I'm up here, he ain't, and so here it is, and there it is. So verse 1 says, and Timothy was a Jewish, sorry, Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now the probability is that Timothy and his mom and them were saved on Paul's first missionary journey. Remember he was in Lystra, he gets stoned, taken out for dead and so on. They live in Lystra, so the probability is they get saved on that missionary journey. Timothy's in the church, his mother's saved. Timothy has a background in the Jewish scriptures. Because you remember Lois and Eunice, his grandma and his mama, have been teaching Timothy. And they have been a faithful family to administer the word of God. Here's a woman who is married to an unbeliever. So if you would, spiritually, she's a single parent. Do you understand that? A sing- in, in a spiritual sense. Now, even in a natural sense, because it seems as if the daddy wasn't available, so he could have died years before. And at any rate, spiritually, she's alone with her mama raising this boy. Now, I, I'm assuming there were struggles there. I'm assuming the guy wanted to go out and play ball, and he wanted to do that. But they made a priority of whatever it is we're going to do in the family. We are going to make the Word of God our priority and our basis in our family. Now, was it worth it? Is this man, Timothy, showing to us that that priority, overcoming any and everything to the contrary that would take away from that priority, is it worth it, church? Is it? Let us be that kind of a church. Let us be those kinds of parents and grandparents That make our priority the ministry, the learning, application of the Word of God. We don't have anything else going for the good of our children. Nothing. Everything else goes into the grave. But that which is of the Word of God stands, how long? Forever. Forever. Let me challenge him. Let's do it that way. Timothy is well-spoken in verse 2. He's well-spoken of by the brethren in the church. He's a man who has now been saved, has been 
inundated in the scriptures and now he's been saved and those scriptures of the old testament have become alive in him and meaningful in him and now he's beginning to live out the faith in such a way that the elders and the leaders of the church maybe men his own age i don't know maybe older men but whatever but these people are saying hey this timothy is a special man he's doing well Paul, have you seen Timothy? Man, this young guy came down to the altar and he was saved, you know, the last time you were here. And he has just been a blessing to the church. It's incredible what God is doing in this young guy. It's incredible. They're speaking well of him. This is a good thing when men speak well of you in this way. Rather than worldly comments. Because quite frankly, when the world speaks of us well... In a worldly way, it doesn't mean dilly squat. But when the church speaks well of us in this context, that's to the praise of the glory of our Father. Because let somebody praise your children or grandchildren, and if you have any sense at all, you're going to yell. Amen? You're going to bellow. I was so excited when Mark Prater, the president of Sovereign Grace Ministries, giving his little background when he got, he says, I'm a grandparent, six grandchildren. Great. That to me says, you're the man. (laughs) I don't know anything about his education, but now that he's a grandpa, he's in. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Why? 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 Again. And behold, I am with you always. Amen. I am with you always. Paul saw a need. John Mark's no longer with him. Paul sees provision. Holy Spirit says, hey, I've marked this young man out. I have marked him out for this purpose. Before the foundation of the world, I saved him knowing this would be the man who would help you. Possibly the single greatest help to Paul throughout his entire ministry. Very possibly. I think it could be argued that Timothy was the single greatest helper to Paul throughout his ministry. Well, if Timothy's coming along, there's a problem. There's a real problem here. There's an ethical, doctrinal, relational, moral, truth, consistency problem with this how are you going to do this i mean paul you want timothy to come and we're going to be going to all these jewish synagogues now timothy's mama was jewish timothy's daddy was greek that means to the jew that timothy is considered to be a jewish boy through his mama now, here's the problem. The Greek daddy had no, no way we're doing this circumcision thing. That's gross. It's nasty. We're not doing it. So, look, he did not allow his wife to do what she understood was spiritually necessary. But the wife, apparently and pretty obviously, did not rebel and do it anyway. I obey God rather than you. No. She submitted to a husband. Is God going to have his way? Sure will. 
He sure will. You see, because his mother was Jewish, Timothy being considered a Jewish boy and not a Greek was going to be a real stumbling block because of this issue. You remember the issue from a week or two ago when Keith was preaching about it? You see, the Holy Spirit had impressed on Paul the desire to take Timothy with him, but Timothy would be a stumbling block if Paul takes him under this condition. What is the Holy Spirit thinking? Didn't he understand? Hasn't he read the book? Has he lost his senses? You're asking us to do something that is going to create real havoc and difficulty in the church. And Jesus says, Behold, I am with you. Amen? Behold, I am with you. Do you think Paul needed to hear that with this decision? You remember Paul's attitude about circumcision? Let me read a couple of passages to you. Acts 15.1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They were making circumcision not a preference, but a requirement for salvation. And Paul and Barnabas had no small, after Paul and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Paul got up in their theological face and was adamant and was loud and was angry and he stood his ground against any and everything that would compromise the gospel. Is that how we are when the gospel begins to be compromised in my own life, in my own thoughts and attitudes or what's happening in, around me or in relationships? Are we that kind of a person? Paul writes this in Galatians 5 two. I, Paul... I want to make sure you know who's speaking here. There ain't nobody. I'm telling you, Paul. He says, I say to you that if you accept circumcision for a way to be saved, Christ will have no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision. Remember, in order to be saved, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. And in fact, remember, in Galatians 1, 6 to 9, Paul says twice, these kinds of people teach a different gospel and they need to go to hell. Anathema. Well, Paul, that's not very grace-filled. I mean, you need to be much more graceful to people. Not in this area. That was the grace of God. That was the grace of God. When something is challenging the foundation of the gospel, the grace of God says, stand up, stand your ground, and fight to the death. Amen? Amen. When something challenges the foundation of the gospel, do not equivocate. Stand strong and face it. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, do everything that God gives you to do to oppose it. You see, for Paul, adding circumcision to faith was creating a false gospel. So what was Paul to do? If he ignores the issue, he would be ignoring the need of weaker brethren. You see, the problem was that if Timothy, as an uncircumcised Jewish boy, goes with Paul and they go to other Jewish neighborhoods and synagogues and other cities... Timothy is going to be a stumbling block. These people are not going to get past this some kind of way. It's going to be confusing. It's going to be a detriment to the gospel, to what Paul wants to do. And if Paul gives in to the issue, he would elicit the charge of hypocrite. So Paul is going to do neither. 
He's not going to ignore and he's not going to give in. So what does he do? Verse, what, what verse am I in? Paul took him and circumcised him. What verse is that? Two? Three, thank you. Somebody's reading the word along. So he takes him and circumcises him. Why? Because of the Jews who were in those places, for they would know that Timothy, Timothy's father was a Greek. You see, the issue of serving the needs of the weak at the expense of the freedom of the strong is one of the central issues of the gospel. There are folks in this church, including Peter Davidson, I am convinced that if we are not careful, we either wittingly or unwittingly are causing others to stumble. And we have to be very careful because one of the scathing comments of Jesus was, woe unto you who causes one of my little ones to stumble. There are issues in our lives and there are issues in the world and there are issues in this church that I think the better part of wisdom and valor is to say this. I am not going to take a chance of going, doing, saying, or whatever to cause someone to stumble and hear Jesus say that to me. I'm not going to take the chance. It would be better to say no to whatever it is than to have one of the children of God stumble. And we have seen that in this church where some have stumbled and I've done that also because of something about us or what we have said or done. See, listen to what Paul would tell the Romans. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So in this way, the reality of the astonishing condescension, you know, condescension means coming down from the highest to the lowest. The astounding condescension of Jesus will be seen and will be used by the Spirit to shine the claims of the gospel into the hearts of others. What is the good of putting off something that is not a requirement and at the heart of the gospel for preference of the weaker brethren? What is at the heart of that? We're not talking about gospel issues here. We're talking about preferences and maybe you can and maybe you can't issues. What is at the heart of it? It is the revelation of the astounding condescension of the Son of God as he laid aside all of his eternal divine prerogatives and lived as a man. For our sakes. That's what we're seeing. And that's what should be seen. More evidently and more clearly. And more aggressively among us. Isn't this what Paul says. In Philippians 2, 5 and 8. Have this same mind or attitude in you. That was also in Jesus Christ. Who though he was. In the form of God, though he was God, he did not count equality with God to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even obedient to the point of death on the cross. 
You see, Paul knew that circumcision was not biblically mandated. He knew this. This is not a central issue of the gospel in a general sense. He knew it wasn't mandated for salvation. He knew that. But in this case, it was relatively, relationally wise and caring to serve the needs of others whose walk might be shaken. Biblically, it was unnecessary for salvation. But relationally, now we were saved in order to express among ourselves that divine community of relationships, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And anything that gets into the way of that or weighs it down or corrupts it or in any way takes away from it is a very, very deep issue with God. So let us make sure we explore and ask God simply, oh, that, that's not for me. Oh, I have my freedom. I have my, I'm free in Christ. No, let's say this. Father, is there anything about what I'm doing, where I'm going, how I'm acting? Is there anything about that that could cause others to stumble? The Holy Spirit will talk to you. He'll tell you. You don't have to ask me. I don't know. Ask God. Here is the great lesson for us to learn. Paul was inflexible about the essentials. Therefore, he could be flexible about the non-essentials. He was inflexible about the essentials of the gospel. Therefore, he could be flexible about the non-essentials, about the preferences. Now, Timothy became one of Paul's most trusted and valuable companions and helpers. Listen to what Paul says. He calls him my fellow worker. He says he's my, this is just a bunch of scriptures, my fellow worker, my beloved and faithful child, <clears throat> our brother, my true child, my a servant of Christ. What a gift of grace Timothy was to Paul. See, God knew Paul needed a helper and he provided Timothy specifically for that. Paul was unaware he needed a helper. But God sent Timothy. Evan May. Come here. Come on, you can go fast now. You're young. Come on, run. Show us. Show us how a young guy can go fast. All I know is if I stayed in my seat, something bad would happen to me. Let me tell you something. Shh. This guy's my Timothy. This guy is my Timothy. That doesn't repudiate the other brothers. I have been served by a lot of people in this church. This guy is my Timothy. He is God's rich gift to me. This old battle axe of a man. To help. To serve to chastise, to correct, to lead, to explain things. You're my Timothy. Verse 4. 
as Paul now and Silas and Timothy. Oh, by the way, talk about sacrificing meeting the needs of the weak. Do you think this physical activity for Timothy was a sacrifice? Do you think it was hurtful? You think it was, you want me to do what? For whom? No, let's, let's think about it. What did this cost Timothy? And what do you think it even cost Paul? Paul didn't want to do this in a natural. But the flame of God for the good of the church. Why? Why did this happen? And Jesus said, I'm with you always. Even until the end of the world. Do you hear the gospel in this, folks? If you don't hear and see the gospel in this, you kind of miss some of the elements of the gospel. So verse 4, as they went on the way through the cities, they delivered to them the observance or how to obey the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem, and the churches were strengthened. Verses 6 to 12, the leading of the Spirit. Well, let's go to Asia. Now, we don't have a map on the wall, but... You remember Antioch is here? Keith can do it. I can do this too, you see. I never did know what he was pointing at, but I think I see it today. Antioch is here, and Paul wants to go over here to Asia. Did I get that right, brother? It's pretty close. Oh, there. Okay, now I'm a little better. So we're going to go over there. Paul's passion desires to go to Asia. Paul wants to do that. He thinks he's right. We're going to go to Asia. So we're going that way. But what the Holy Spirit is going to show us that, Paul, you're going to go this way. So the question is, what do we do when we have these kinds of conflicts of what we believe and see and understand is God's word, and then the word of God comes to us by the Spirit, it comes to us through a brother, comes, however it comes, and it's contrary. What do we do? Well, most basically, we remember this. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. And what we don't do is to be fearful that, well, suppose I make a mistake and we go to the wrong place or do something. Man, I've got to make sure the will of God. No. Paul's relaxed about this. I don't think he's in the back corner biting his hands off, trying to figure it out. He understands that even when we miss it as to the will of God, with our limited inability to get all that clear, but we honestly miss it, God is at work. And we don't have to be fearful. Amen? Can you say amen? Because I know that some struggle. We meet with folks who struggle in some of these areas. What if I didn't marry the right person? You're married. Yeah, but what if it was the wrong man? You're married. Yeah, but suppose this. You're married. Suppose I'm not in the right job. You're in the job. Well, suppose it's not the right job. You're in the job. God is going and is leading us 
and where we've taken the wrong turns, he's already there to meet us. When we take the wrong turns, where is he? Where is he, Steve? He's already over there. Have you ever taken a wrong turn, Steve? Steve, Roberts, have you ever taken a wrong turn? You can say yes. We know it. We can tell some people about those turns. Where was God when you got to the wrong place? I can't hear you. He was there. Behold, I am with you always. Even when you take the wrong turn, is he there? And even if you take the turn purposefully disobedient, guess where God is when you get to the place that you did in rebellion? Where? There. I give you a text, Genesis 13, 3, and you'll see it. I won't go into that, what that means. Abraham took the wrong turn, Genesis 13, 3, and you'll see. God was in the wrong turn as much as he is in the right turn. Isn't this amazing? How can that be? How can God's sovereignty and our decisions all work to do his plan? I don't know. Ask Evan May. He has the answers. I don't know. That's why I brought him up here. Don't ask me those things. Ask Evan. He knows all that. How does God get him? How does the Holy Spirit get him and the team where they need to go? They go through a series of yeses and nos. Do you see that? No, no, yes, no. God is moving them along. The point is these men are pursuing the will of God and are, their posture is to hear and to receive, not to be insistent on their own way. We're going to Asia, and I don't care what they say, who does what, we're going to Asia because those people need the gospel. Paul's open. These men are open to God. Can we be open to the Holy Spirit's leadership when he says do something we don't like him to do? We have not, I think I can say we, we have not liked in the natural the idea of so many people leaving this church and going elsewhere. How many of you don't like that in the natural? That's all? Hmm. Didn't have many friends here, did they? <laughs> but, but in the Spirit, we can rejoice. I mean, a whole sections of this church are over across the lake, listening to Earhart instead of listening to me. How is that God? Jeanette, how is that God? It, you see, I don't know how that works. We didn't want to lose these people, but for the blessing and the glory of God, we say, go, go. Amen? Go. I think I've run off a few people from here over the years, but... There's a good proverb, Proverbs 16, 9, that says this, this, the heart of a man plans his way. I know what I want to do. I think I want to go here. I want to do this, that, and the other thing. But the Lord establishes the steps or his steps. Plan your way. Be as biblical as you can. Be as prayerful as you know how. Be as discerning and listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit as you know. Start walking and God is going to be in the midst of it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? And he said, behold, I am with you always. Even unto the end of the world. And may I disabuse us of something? Someone in the office not too long ago said, well, you know, if, if I do this wrong, I said, could I stop you? You're going to do things wrong. 
Let's disabuse ourselves of if and say when. When we're going to do things wrong. Amen? Where's God? Where's Jesus? Where is he? And behold, I'm with you. I'm with you. Is he with you today? Are you conscious of that? Are you cognitive of that? Are you seeing it and hearing it and listening to it and watching and experiencing it? Because if you're saved, he is there. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God in Asia. So they're moving along. We're trucking on down to Asia and we're going to preach the gospel to those people who need that in Asia. We're going to be down in Ephesus and Colossae and we're going to go down to Laodicea and we're going to get those Asian cities. And they need the gospel in Asia. But the Holy Spirit says no. No. How did they respond when their decision was thwarted? I don't ever get my way. God's picking on me. I didn't get my way. Shh, listen. And here's why I didn't get my way. I must have done something wrong. I must have displeased God. There must be disobedience in me. Because I didn't get my way. Therefore, I'm going to start reading my Bible more. I'm going to start praying more. I'm even going to go to school of the word. (laughs) Was that what was happening? Now, is it sometimes when you don't get your way because you were bad? Is that sometimes? Come on, come on, come on. Yes, but is it an automatic thing? No. We are faulty, frail, failing people but Jesus said I'm with you always even to the end of the age don't let the devil do to you what God is not doing but don't also be presumptuous to say oh it can never be that I was sinning or was disobedient hear the Holy Spirit speak to you as to what's going on so what did they do they obeyed They obeyed the Spirit's leading and made a turn. Take a right turn here. Rather than Asia Highway 101, we're going to go to Missia Highway. Verse 7, and they went, and when they had come to Missia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. Now, they're still trying to get into Asia, but they're going to go another way. Well, maybe it was just that, not this way, so we'll sneak in another side. So we're going to get there through Bithynia. But, in verse 7, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Once again, a change to the plans of men. Once again, heaven breaks in by the Spirit's work. So once again, they changed course. Now, we could spend the time this morning, how does the Spirit do that? What's going on? I just didn't feel that was the substance of what God wanted us to do. I think what we are seeing here is important to us to see that God's faithful, continuing purpose to accomplish his creational design of bringing about in us the fullness of his son, the fullness of his revelation. 
Because every day we walk, every day I take a step and you take a step, we are getting closer to the end of the age when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We're getting closer step by step, day by day, to the glorious return of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who will one day break through the clouds, the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and Jesus Christ himself shall descend and take his church unto himself. Every day we get closer to that. So if you don't get the Obamacare, I don't know, but receive the Jesus care. Right? Receive the Jesus care. Every day we're getting closer. Eleven. So what did they do? So they set sail for Troas. We made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi. Remember the Philippians which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. That's in northern Greece, remember, up there, a Roman colony. And we remain in this city for some days. Now what? Okay, we're here. We've crossed over the the little water place there from Asia to Europe. All right, we're there. Now what? What are we supposed to do in this strange place? We weren't planning to come to Macedonia, to Philippi. What do we do now? Next week, if this material isn't done in a different way, one of us will be sharing, what do we do now? Because what we'll see in the the rest of this chapter are three examples of, of the great power of the gospel to save the unsaved. Remember the examples? Three examples of God's great miraculous saving power. You see, it's not that God wasn't interested in the people in Asia. He certainly has people in Asia. His plan was just to take the gospel over to Europe at this time, Paul and the team coming back to Antioch, and then on the next trip, they'll go into Asia. God being sovereign, it's his prerogative to make these kinds of decisions. And our, ours is to obey those. So what was Paul learning in these circumstances? What was Paul and what were the team learning? They were learning to trust and embrace God's sovereign will as both good and right. Now, I raise my hand on this, but do any of us have a problem from time to time Hopefully not too much, but maybe more sometimes. Do we have a problem with him trusting and embracing God's sovereign will and work? Anybody in here? Don't we have some? mm. I mean, let's be truthful. I have not liked some of the will of God. Is that all right for a preacher to say that? The walls don't fall down. I've not liked some of the will of God. I've been upset by it. I thought I had a much better deal, I mean, a a decision. You know, my way was much better. I'm the only one, right? How do I know I didn't like it? Well, there's one major way you will know that you like or dislike the sovereignty of God. One way. Complaining. Oh, man. 
This was a good sermon until we got to that part. Now he has to go meddling. Dissatisfaction with God. An extremely pervasive and weakening condition in believers. Dissatisfaction. I look at myself in the mirror and say, oh God, why did you make those ears that way? Oh, this nose. Look at this nose. Anybody want this? This is a beautiful nose. Remember Jimmy Durante? Had a nose about out to here. Nice shape. So I don't like it. We're going to get it all surgically redone and moved around and all that and propped up and whatever. There's an industry out there based in dissatisfaction and yet each one of us has been handcrafted by God for his personal ministry. Each one of us has been handcrafted. Psalm 139, 13 and 14. Handcrafted. And so we're learning something to trust and embrace God's sovereignty. Listen what this apostle says to the church in Philippi several years later. He says that he, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. How do you know you're content? You stop what? Complaining. Now, Jean can tell you, I learned this years ago. She should have fallen on the floor in hysterics right now. See, Paul had learned how through these kinds of exercises to trust and embrace the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he had learned that God's sovereign will is always good and right. He learned that when Jesus said, I am with you always, Jesus was always with them. But that came at a price to the flesh and to the fallen person and to the world's ways. It came at a price where God, through Christ, by the Holy Spirit, being with them, with us, was completely redoing them in the spirit, internally in their souls, so they could be the living reality to the world of who Christ is in the heavens. This passage that we've been been through, I've said this before, I'll say it again, so clearly reveals to us the unrelenting unswerving, uncompromising faithfulness of our God to accomplish his will in our lives. That's what this shows us. Not just a travel log. Luke put it in here because the Holy Spirit gave it to Luke to say to the people who in life like we are need encouragement and need stamina and need to be anchored in more than what we have in ourselves and what's going on around us. And this kind of travelogue should say to us, this is a mighty revelation of the persistent, unswerving, 
unassailed faithfulness of our God to be with us and to do according to his will and work. How does that impact me for tomorrow? Or today if the saints don't win? How does this impact me? How will it impact me when I get a diagnosis that this is wrong or my child has this or this is happening or what should I do here? And How should it? We remember, I am with you always to do my work, which is both good and right through whatever circumstance that God chooses to bring our way. I was going to say allow. It's a weak word. God chooses to bring our way. Where are you today? What are we facing tomorrow? What are we facing at home today? What are we facing personally in our own minds and our own thoughts? What are we facing financially? You know, Bill talked about giving. Giving. I think there are two primary issues here. Why the church doesn't give biblically. And there are many more, but I think at least there are two primary ones. Fear. How can I do that? And greed. And considering what God has done for us. That we will stand before the majesty on high one day and be received home as the children of God. Come on up, Eric. Considering that. Considering what these men went through to bring the gospel. Considering what God is doing around the world. I don't want to live in fear. It's the antithesis of faith. And I don't want to live in greed. I believe the greatest five words in the Bible. Stubb and I talked about this the other day. The greatest five words in the Bible. Let me share with you, with you what I think are the greatest five words. In the beginning, God created. He gave. He gave. Everything is as a result of what? Giving. Sharing. And behold, I am the great I am. I am with you even to the end of the world. Keith. Let's stand up together. I'm going to close us in prayer, but I just I had an impression, a word for a couple of specific folks. I just didn't want to ignore it. I think there may be many folks here this morning who find themselves surveying their life and in moments they 
they say to themselves and sometimes they say to others, I think, I think I've taken a wrong turn and now I'm stuck. Just let the Holy Spirit make that real to you. If you, if you said that, have you felt that way? That somewhere in the past, you feel like you took a wrong turn. And now you're wondering, is there any way out of this? Is it changeable? It doesn't feel like it's changing. and It doesn't feel like there's a way to do this different. And I just feel like I'm stuck. And I had an impression specifically, I think there's a lot of us here that can look back in moments that we thought was a fork in the road. We think that we took the wrong fork. But I had two impressions and I I just want to share them. One was for um, a person in a financial mess. You You are in a financial mess. And the impression was you were an older person whose ability to retire is now in question. don't know all the circumstances that caused your financial world to reshape, but you are in a place where you're kind of feeling stuck. It's a little late in life to reinvent the future. That was one impression. The other was a person here with a physical health problem that in your understanding has been brought on by yourself. Some activity of self-abuse or maybe some activity of neglect has brought you to a day where you are physically unhealthy and, and you just feel you're, you're stuck in this condition and it doesn't look like it's going to change either. I believe that there's other circumstances, but those two were just impressed on my heart to pray for us this morning. Jesus and Peter set this before us at the beginning of the message. Jesus told his disciples, go, go and do your life. Go and live in places. Go get married. Go have families. And do all of it as a declaration of my gospel and my glory. And lo, I am with you always to the end. Jesus said that to his disciples. Can we just take a moment so you can let the Holy Spirit this morning say it to you? I've sat through so many meetings where I have heard something said that I have agreed with. Yes, that's in the Bible. Yes. Walked out of the meeting and I didn't own it. It was in the Bible, but it wasn't in me. Can you just let God say it to you this morning? Can you hear God by the Holy Spirit say to you, I am with you always. Wrong turn, stuck where you think you are and all. I am with you this morning. Let's just bow our heads. Just ask the Lord, open your heart to him. God specifically, as Peter was sharing this morning, God God redirected some thoughts for him this morning. Knowing who would be here, knowing you would be here, knowing you'd be thinking the way you are. 
he said certain things and said certain phrases so that your attention would be drawn to God this morning. So that God could say, you may think you're off track, but you you can't get off of my path where I am with you. I am with you this morning. I am with you in this hour. I am with you in the midst of confusion. I'm, in the, I'm with you in the midst of what looks like a dead end. I'm with you in a place that looks like it has no future. I am with you always to the end. Oh, Lord, help us. Speak to us. Lord, help these not just to be words on a page, words in a message, but Lord, words in my heart echoing off the walls of my thoughts, challenging what I think can and cannot happen in the future. Lord, what can happen if you are with me? Lord, what what might the future hold if it's true you are with me? And you are, Lord, with me. You are with me. Lord, we thank you for that. I thank you for an adjustment this morning that turns our hope to a promise and to a reality that we cannot get on a path where you are not with us. It's not possible. Faithful God, all your works, the psalmist said, are done in faithfulness. When we took a right turn, as Peter said, and when we took a wrong turn, you are faithful and you are with us. Lord, may we go from this place. May we entertain this week. May we confront physical challenges, financial issues, marriage struggles, whatever they may be, Lord. May you let those words echo in our minds this week. I am with you always to the end. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, bro. That was very helpful.